Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 141 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed a whirlwind of week one fantastic finishes. I mean, it, it, look, let's be honest, it was a little bit of a rough week for kickers. Um, we see Rodrigo goggles Blankenship wind up getting his pink slip. I, I tend to think he'll catch on somewhere. It was a little harsh, but I mean... You know, if you're the Colts and you tie with the Texans, I can get how that can be disappointing. Um, we have some missed field goals in that Bengals-Steelers game. I think we had a couple more. We had the ending of the Saints-Falcons game, which was tremendous. Uh, we'll see if we touch on this one, or that one, I should say. Not sure we'll get to it, but either way, you know, we will get to my standout seven. Let's get started like we always do. Bigger story for the first three block of the standout seven. Bigger story. That Colts tie, or the defending champion Cincinnati Bengals coming out with a loss in their home opener. Let's handle the first things first. The Colts did not play a fantastic game against Houston, but they certainly didn't play a bad one. Um, I don't know what it was. Maybe they thought it was a later kick than it actually was. But once they got into gear, I mean, you take a look, Matt Ryan ends the game with 350. Jonathan Taylor ends the game with 160 yards. Michael Pittman, who I've been told is not going to go this week, um, actually ended this game with, I believe, what, nine catches for a buck 20? So if you're a Colts fan and you look at those stats at the end of the day, let's say you missed the game, you were busy, you're thinking, oh, wow, we had a pretty darn good opener to the season. How much did we win by? 10? 14? Did, did they make it close at the end? No, you walked away with a tie because Davis Mills played pretty decent. Um, they got some contributions out of their running game, they being Houston. Uh, Rex Burkhead ends this one with 40 yards on the ground. Damian Pierce with 33. Not the worst. Um, O.J. Howard with two touchdowns. Shout out my boy O.J. Howard. I always thought he'd be a darn good contributor, and here you go. Winds up in Houston. He's got two touchdowns in his first game. Now, those were his only two times touching the football. But uh, if you're an optimist, you say, hey, that's 100% efficiency right there. That's pretty darn good. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, the Colts should have won this game. Um, walking away from it, you see that's why, obviously, they cut Rodrigo Blankenship, a makeable game-winning field goal. I believe it was in the overtime period. Um, so, I, I guess I get where they're coming from. The bigger story, though, obviously, and that's why we put it second, has to be Cincinnati. Do I think Cincinnati is going to lose their division? Um, not necessarily. Do I think that now, because Joe Burrow threw four picks in his first game, he's going to have an awful season? No, not at all. Um, what I do think, though, is I think the Colts are in a much easier division. Houston is not really in the running, in my eyes, to win this division. I wouldn't say I'm the only one that could say that, right? Jacksonville, maybe. They had some flashes, but then you see Trevor Lawrence with a little bit of an arm punt in a big moment, and you're like, all right, he's still learning. So Jacksonville, not really in it either. It's a two-horse race, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Bengals, well, you just lost your home end of the home-and-home home with Pittsburgh. You've got Baltimore, who's already 1-0. And Cleveland may contend for this division. I wouldn't necessarily bet on it, but they walked out of Week 1 with a victory due to a late field goal of their own. Um, the reason is purely based on the competition. So let's talk about this Bengals game. The turnovers galore, it, it seemed very uncharacteristic of the Cincinnati Bengals that we came to know last season. Will that be... 
Jags got the ball over the goal line. There was no challenge from Coach Taylor. Maybe he thought it wasn't even a catch. Um, they wind up, I believe, walking away with no points in that possession. And then later we have a similar thing with Chase, obviously, and it's the game-tying touchdown. And then you have the extra point blocked, which sent us to overtime. This should have been a win for both of these teams. The bigger story, though, would be Cincinnati as they've punted away a division game in a division that's going to be a little bit more hard-fought. The Colts, also worth noting, I mean, Tennessee lost. So you didn't really lose much. Now I get it. You want to win every game. You want to win the division. You want to be the one seed. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's worth noting, you're still above Tennessee, who was the division champion last season. Number two in the standout seven, bigger story. And we didn't even touch on the T.J. Watt injury, by the way. We'll talk about that a little bit more, I think, when we talk the pick'em portion, when we get into Pittsburgh game this week and the Thursday night game this coming week. But, man, it's a big injury. Uh, number two, bigger loss. We're going a little negative to start it out. San Francisco or Green Bay. This one's a little interesting to me because let's start with San Francisco, right? Trey Lance played not very well. At all. The San Francisco offense did not play very well at all either. The Bears offense did not play very well either. The fact of the matter is they're playing this game in, you know, completely atrocious conditions. And I, I'd have to say I can give them a mulligan. Let's see what happens this week. This week, the San Francisco 49ers are playing host to Seattle. It shouldn't be a monsoon. So... Let's see what happens. Am I a little concerned? Yes. If this was a week 8 or 9 game, let's say they're treading water, I wonder if we would have seen Garoppolo. Because there's a reason they kept Garoppolo on the roster. So, obviously it's week 1, it's too early to panic, and you could make the argument Trey Lance's skill set fits those conditions better than Jimmy Garoppolo. But the fact of the matter is, he goes 13 of 28 for a buck 60. Oh, by the way, he's your leading rusher because Eli Mitchell goes down in this game. I don't know. Kind of a weird one. Not going to pass judgment just yet. Speaking of passing judgment, I'm also not going to rule out the Green Bay Packers after their awful performance against the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, Rodgers doesn't top 200 yards in this game. Aaron Jones nor A.J. Dillon top 50 rushing yards in this game. Big drop deep ball early in this one. I believe it was Christian Watson. Kind of takes the wind out of your sail. Sammy Watkins, who I guess was their answer to, hey, we need a number one. Well, three catches for 18 yards against the Minnesota defense. That's, I mean, they they looked pretty darn good, but I didn't think on paper they'd be able to shut down the Packers' passing game. But here we are. Uh, solid game out of Cousins, no picks. You know, no real complaints, I imagine, if you are a Viking fan. Dalvin Cook, 20 carries for 90 yards. The bigger story's got to be Green Bay. Because as I said with San Francisco, it's early. It was awful conditions. You're also dealing with a QB starting in his first season. There's going to be bumps in the road. Aaron Rodgers stayed in Green Bay. He knew, or at least the belief generally is that he knew, by signing an extension, it would mean Devontae Adams would be playing elsewhere. Um, kind of handicaps the team, but it is what it is. Will one of these young wideouts step up and try, not, not fill the Devontae Adams role? That's going to be hard to fill. Not going to fill those shoes probably even next season or the year after. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL. Will they try? Will they get close to filling the role in terms of replacing the production? I mean, your leading wideout was A.J. Dillon, your power back. 
What are we doing? I, I mean, Tunyon? Will Tunyon be the guy that he was a few years ago? You know what I mean? Prior to injury, when he was up-and-coming star, Robert Tunyon? Well, without Devontae Adams, I'm not sure. Will Sammy Watkins have a renaissance season? Well, I wouldn't bet on it, but it's possible. Does Randall Cobb steal you a few games here and there by going out, you know, I thought it was the last hurrah last season. I guess not. Maybe he's sticking around trying to win a ring with his buddy. Um, so for that reason, the bigger story's got to be Green Bay because they're playing in a dome. There's no weather to deal with. It's not like the San Francisco and Chicago game. On top of the fact, they lost to a division rival who, oh, by the way, looks around now and sees the Bears didn't play that great. Detroit took a loss, even though they made a late comeback attempt. Oh, we can win this. Confidence breeds better play. So if they get some confidence, who knows? Maybe Kirk Cousins is strutting into the playoffs. I wouldn't bet on it yet, but keep an eye on the odds. Number three bigger story. Let's get positive with it. Let's talk about two upsets. Bigger story, New York Giants taking down the Titans or the Seattle Seahawks taking down Denver. Now, these are very comparable games, I would say, though obviously there was a lot more off the field riding on the Seahawks Monday night football game. Um, but they both ended with, love it or not, Bronco fan, they both ended with a field goal attempt by the trailing team, which was no good. Now... Let's start with the Giants because the Seattle one is probably much more interesting. So we'll keep you around a little bit here. The New York Giants played not great. They didn't play poorly. The first half they were shut out. It was 13-0. Um, which, if you're a Giants fan, going into a game against a team that was a high seed in the opposing conference last year, you're thinking, well, we're only down two scores. So, you know, that's not that bad of a first half, and you'd be right. However, I doubt that you expected your team would score 13 in the third, score a game-tying touchdown in the fourth, and then Brian Dayball would go for the two-point conversion in which Saquon Barkley catches a shovel pass with two people right in front of him, cuts to his side, and just bowls his way into the end zone, taking the lead. Now, there was a lot of time left on the clock. You can make the argument this way, that way, the third way, that they should have lost this ball game. You can also make the argument Tennessee benefited from a handful of penalties on that final call, helping them to matriculate the ball down the field. Now, were they all bogus calls? Is this the New Yorker in me coming out? No. Quite a few of them were were above the board. They were the right calls, right? And we'll talk about, uh, maybe we'll get into some penalty shenanigans when we talk about the uh, Kansas City game in a bit. But neither here nor there in this game, Tennessee walked their way down the field, and Randy Bullock just missed the kick. That's life. Um... Does this mean the Giants are contenders in the NFC East? No. However, and we'll talk about the Dallas Cowboys in a second here, the injury to Dak Prescott means that the New York Giants just unfortunately, unbeknownst to them, I shouldn't say unfortunately, it's not unfortunate if you're a Giants fan that's been suffering through years of losing, unbeknownst to them, unbeknownst to uh, anything they tried to do in the offseason, just became contenders in this division. Now, I had Philly winning it, and this was after a flip-floppery and prior to a Dak injury. I still have Philly winning it, despite the fact they tried to give away that game against Detroit. Um, but the Giants can, can contend. If this is the way the New York Giants are going to play, you know, there's no way Saquon Barkley is going to run for 150 yards a game. It's just not possible. He's not going to be 194 all-purpose every week. Now, if you're a fantasy football owner, I'm sure you're salivating, but that's not going to happen. Now, it's also true 
that Daniel Jones is not going to turn the ball over two-plus times. I think there was a third fumble, a second fumble, excuse me, that he recovered. I'm not 100% on that. But there was a lost fumble, which is Daniel Jones's signature, and there was an interception, which was awful. Right? I believe that was the red zone interception, which I, when I was watching this game live, I thought, all right, that's it, the comeback attempt, it dies with that. Because that's usually where it would go. But credit to Brian Dable and this coaching staff, the Giants didn't give up. And that's new. If you don't watch a lot of Giants football, first of all, I can't blame you. Second of all, this is a team that when they get punched in the mouth, they may try to get back up. But if there's a second knockdown, the past few years, they stay down. They do. You know, you can point to the fact, oh, they almost won the division with six wins. Yeah, that's not a good season, though. That's not a good season. That wasn't a good team. Um, this team seems to have a little bit more fight in them. Let's see if it lasts the whole season. Let's see if it manif you know, manifests itself in a legitimate winning record for the first time in forever. I wouldn't bet on it, but it's possible. Now we can talk about Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett and the weirdest endgame sequence I can remember in the Monday Night Football game since, uh, was the fail Mary a Monday Night Football game? I think it might have been. It was kind of bizarre to me. It was kind of bizarre. And I'm not sure if... I don't know what Nathaniel Hackett was thinking. I know they have the clip from the Manning broadcast with Peyton Manning putting the timeout symbol up over and over and over. I was watching this game with a couple of buddies, and I'm just thinking, I'm out loud, rather, what are they doing? Like, are they going to run a play? You're not going to try and draw them off sides here. It's too risky. The clock is ticking and ticking and ticking and ticking. And I was thinking, well, all right, you might as well call the timeout and go for it. I mean, you paid Russell Wilson all this money, and this is not something you guys haven't heard elsewhere, so I'm not going to dive too far into it. Because, you know, I don't like repeating what you've probably heard throughout the week, but it, it truly was a legendary, magnificent bonehead move by a rookie head coach. And I, I don't know what would rival it. It's, it's arguably up there with that New York Giants third-down QB sneak inside their own red zone. It really is. Because that play was for a team that had given up on the season. They were awful. It is what it is. You know, whatever. Let's finish the season. Let's just get out of here. This is week one with a team that just acquired a star quarterback, playing against the former team of that star quarterback, we were, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to be that guy, but I kind of have to be. We were robbed of the ending we were supposed to get, right? People love to say, oh, the scripted and that and blah, blah, blah. You want a scripted ending? Fourth down and five on the road against his old team in his first game. Russell Wilson completes a deep pass up the sideline to Jerry Judy. Oh, oh, look at him go. And then we get Seattle trying to do something, right? Or we get, oh, and Geno's, you know, they, they go for it. Oh, and it's tipped up in the air and intercepted, or it's knocked down, or the pressure gets to, gets to Russell. We didn't get the ending we were supposed to get. We were supposed to have some semblance of, aha, look, they got him. Or, aha, look, Russell wins it on the road. What a moment to start his career as a Bronco. Well, we got neither of those. And, uh... As a fan, you got to be like, look, what what the heck, man? What the heck? This was supposed to be a really cool moment, both for Russell Wilson's career and for the NFL season, and we get neither. A little bizarre to me. So the answer to the question I asked at the outset, what's the bigger story? Well, I guess when we look back on this season, I would tend to think it's the Seattle win. 
it's them being led by Geno Smith, a man who's been cast away by both New York franchises, a man who's been cast away for the most part by the NFL, you know, playing out of his mind. I think he started this game 12 for 12. He was 17 for 18 at one point, I think. He played great. Um, and the Seattle defense kind of stiffening in the red zone and holding Denver out of two easy scoring possessions, at least six points in a game that ends, you know, much closer than that. So I'd say it's Seattle. Now, look, at the end of the year, if the New York Giants somehow make a run to the wild card or even the division, we would have to go back and say this is the Giants, you know, unofficially announcing themselves here, beating a playoff team. But we're not at that point. So give me the Seattle story just because, come on, I'm a journalist. It's it's too easy. Number four in the standout seven, let's talk Sunday night football. The Dallas Cowboys did not look good in this ballgame in the slightest. Uh, Dak ends injured, thumb injury. Some reports saying he's not going to go on IR. Supposedly Jerry Jones said, oh, maybe it's four weeks, maybe it's six weeks. Initially we heard six to eight with them looking at him maybe coming back against the Green Bay Packers, which would be, you know, prime time in terms of you got two of the key NFL franchises here. It'd be quite a time to come back for your first game since an injury. 14-29, um, 134 and a pick. Didn't really see too, too much from them. I was surprised Tony Pollard did not get the ball that much at all. Eight touches for 22 yards. Ezekiel Elliott looked all right. I mean, you know, 10 carries for 52. He looked like he had a little bit more pep in his step than last year. Obviously, hopefully that uh, injury that had been hampering him last season does not, you know, re-emerge as an issue for the Dallas Cowboys. Was I super impressed with what I saw from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Not necessarily, but at the end of the day, when you win a game 19-3, to it's going to be hard for me to nitpick you, you know? Chris Godwin, I believe, started this game, tried to tough it out. He's not even going to be able to go this week. So a big loss for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because he... I'm going to be honest, you know, I like Mike Evans a lot, but when Chris Godwin was on in spurts, he looked like the number one receiver for this team. He looked like he had a crazy ceiling. Um, Julio Jones looked pretty good. He looked almost better than he looked all year last year as a Titan. I mean, three three catches for 69. Mike Evans winds up with a touchdown. Brady ends at 212, a touchdown and a pick. Nothing crazy out of Brady. Uh, Lenny Fournette, 21 carries for a buck 27. If you can't stop it, they'll keep running it. That's just the way it is. Um, the big overarching thing here, obviously, is the Dak Prescott injury. When you take a look at the games he may miss, depending on how long this takes, um, the following games are Cincinnati here in Week 2 at the New York Football Giants the following week. Then they play home to the Washington Commanders, go to L.A. to take on the Rams. So that'll put us in what? Week 2, 3, 4, 5... Right? We're getting there. They play Philly in Philly week six. So that's already five missed games. And then they've got Dal uh, home against the Detroit Lions, excuse me, um, in week seven. So that's the earliest I've heard he could be back. The following week is the Bears game. And the week after is at, excuse me, after the bye. So they go home against the Bears, then a bye, and then to Lambeau, November the 13th, 425. All right, kind of a rough way to come back, but maybe he'll come back during the bye and kind of get his feet wet, get his timing back as best as he can. Um, 
it's going to be a rough road for this Dallas Cowboys team. Look, with Cooper Rush under center, they didn't look really that awful at the end of the game. But the fact of the matter is, they were out of it. So Tampa Bay kind of played the, yeah, just keep everything in front of us as far as I was concerned. Um, if we're being realistic, no spoilers obviously for the pick'em portion, but I think you know which way I'm leaning Bengals-Cowboys. So they could be looking at 0-2. If the New York Giants play like they did in Week 1, they could be looking at 0-3. The Commanders didn't look that bad. They didn't look like a pushover team. How far does this go? Do we get to 0-4 going into L.A. to take on the Rams? Do we get to 0-5 going into Philly to take on the Eagles? Are we talking an 0-6 Dallas Cowboys team playing host to a gritty Detroit Lions squad? Will they go in at 0-7 against the Chicago Bears? I mean, look, put it this way. I know... It's been made clear they didn't make a phone call, a single phone call on Jimmy Garoppolo, and I'm not the guy that's going to tell you Jimmy Garoppolo is going to win you all these random games, right? I told you, he's a he's a game manager. You plug him into a team that's already a pretty good team, no issue, no problem, right? But the fact of the matter is, and the thing that uh, we probably got to realize, if this starts to get out of hand, those opinions will change very quickly. Very, very quickly, they are going to be talking about, oh, well, of course we're in the market for so-and-so. Oh, we're trading for Joe Flacco. Oh, we're trading for this guy. We're trading for that guy. It's Jerry Jones. He's not going to let this team slip into, you know, a 3-13 and season or something ridiculous. Dak Prescott comes back, they're 0-7, and they're fighting for their lives because Philly's already 5-2 and or something, right? It's just not realistic, and I don't think really any team that's Supposed to be a playoff team should do that. So kudos to Jerry for presumably stopping the downfall if they do get there. But I'm just suggesting to you guys, if you're a Cowboy fan, it might be a rough couple of weeks. Number five in the standout seven. Let's talk Thursday night football. Wow, this was a weird one. And and I mentioned in the outset when we were talking uh, number one in the standout seven or one of the numbers that the refs made a little bit of an impact on this one. Two interceptions called back because of penalties. Two interceptions thrown by Patty Mahomes. This is a game where the Chargers came in without Keenan Allen. J.C. Jackson did wind up suiting up for this game. And oh, by the way, this is a game that late in the game, in the red zone, it appeared Los Angeles was in control. The game was going to be iced, you know, it was going to be on Patty Mahomes. What can he pull off? And Justin Herbert threw a 99-yard pick six. Um, I thought Mike Williams looked great. I thought Justin Herbert, obviously up until that. And even after that, dealing now with the rib cartilage injury, we'll see how long he's out for, if he's even out. Um, I thought he looked fantastic. I thought Gerald Everett looked pretty darn good. I thought Eckler didn't look great. They didn't run the ball well here, which was kind of surprising to me. I thought they might be able to get a little bit of the running game going. But Eckler ends the game with 23 touches for 94 yards. It's not that bad. Uh, DeAndre Carter popped up now and again, a touchdown for Josh Palmer. I thought the Chargers looked pretty good. Now look, I was going into watching this game, and this is the second story from the week for you, from the personal life. Going into watching this game with a couple of buddies in there, one of them was trying to make a ticket to bet on this game, and they were like, well, who do you got? I said, well, I really like the Chargers, but it's Kansas City at home. You can't pick against Kansas City, right? And he asked me who I picked on my podcast, and I said L.A. And I, he said, should I bet on the Chargers? I said, well, gun to my head, I'm taking Kansas City at home. Now, look, 
it's a hard spot, and I've discussed this before, and if you've heard it, you know, you can skip ahead a minute or so. It won't be a long conversation here. But I've discussed this before. When I'm picking a Thursday night game, I'm picking on a Friday the week before or a Saturday the week before, right? It's one of those things where we're forming a narrative because I have to pick off of my own pick. I have to pick based off the fact I thought Kansas City would win and the Chargers would have a hard-fought win against the Raiders, right? So then, last week, if you were here last week, first of all, thank you for coming back again. If you weren't, I'll fill you in. I came to the Thursday night game and I said, well, it's hard to pick against Kansas City at home, but if I really think this year is the Chargers' year, they'll win this one, right? That tells you right there, I thought the Chiefs at home is a hard get. And it was. Um, Did the refs help? Yeah. Patrick Mahomes, 24-35, 235, two touchdowns. No picks, wink, wink. Um, but at the end of the day, he made a couple of throws, and he always does for the most part. He had the little sidearm throw, and then he had the escaping deep bomb. Like, this guy's ridiculous. This Patrick Mahomes is unlike any quarterback I've seen. I'm being genuine with you. I'm not a Chiefs fan. I have no loyalty to Andy Reid. I was born in New York. I don't like Andy Reid. When he was an eagle. I have no beef with the man. Right? I think he's a darn good coach. But you don't go out there complimenting teams that are playing against your team. Well, not usually. But in this role, it's kind of my job. Either way, Patrick Mahomes, like I said, it, when it's all said and done, he might be looked at by a guy like me, like the generation before me looks at a guy like Dan Marino. He did things people just couldn't do. Right? I think it might be that. I'm not saying the guy's the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm not saying he doesn't make mistakes. I'm not saying he doesn't get, you know, kind of weird with some of the things he's doing back there. Scrambling left, right, left, right, left, right, just to throw a little thing when he had the underneath pass before. Whatever. I'm not saying he's in the top Tom Brady's legacy. He's not going to win seven, ten Super Bowls, whatever. It's, it's hard to do, man. But at the end of the day, pure thrower of the football, the guy just does things that I've never seen. Oh, by the way, they were coming off of that trouncing of the Arizona Cardinals, which we didn't touch on, but wow. Uh, Edwards Elaire looked pretty good. I still am of the opinion the Chiefs need that lead wide receiver. Um, Mecole Hardman looked all right. Three catches for 49. Justin Watson, two catches for 50. Like, these guys will chip in, but, you know, you bring in a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, who has number two, number one potential, I would say. Uh, probably number two. He goes three catches for 10 yards, and it's like, okay, like, come on. You need somebody to step up. It can't just all be Kelsey or Mahomes running around doing schoolyard football back there. That being said, I know there are no moral victories in football. Those don't go in the standings. And they've beaten Kansas City in Kansas City before. This is a moral victory, I would say, for the Chargers because, I mean, man, they punch Kansas City in the mouth, and sometimes the champ just gets up and wins by decision. Sometimes they do. Sometimes you're Chael Sonnen and you dominate for five rounds and you get caught in a triangle and it's just over. And you thought the belt was going to be around your waist and you're the bad guy, but uh, not today. Not today, Charger fan. But don't don't be all, you know, pessimistic about the season. I think it's still going to go pretty well. Keeping in mind, Justin Herbert's got to stay healthy, folks. Darn good Thursday night football game. Darn good Monday night football game. Sunday night, a little bit of a stinker, you know, but Monday night... Thumbs up. Thursday night, thumbs up. All righty. So that'll bring us to number six in the standout seven. Something I touched on briefly I want to expand on a little bit here. Let's talk about Philly. I mean, Philly dropped a 38 bomb on the Detroit Lions. You take a look. They're up 38-21 going into the fourth. 
Detroit makes this one close. I think it was, you know, borderline Laffer territory, and then they get overconfident, and then the other team starts to come back. I mean, DeAndre Swift looked damn good. 140 yards on the ground. 140 yards. Uh, Jamal Williams ends up with two touchdowns on just 11 carries for 28. Pretty darn good as well. DJ Chark looked pretty good. I thought he was good in Jacksonville, but it's one of those things. You're in Jacksonville. Unfortunately, he goes from Jacksonville to Detroit, but who knows? He looked all right. Didn't see that much out of Josh Reynolds. I like him. think he's a decent contributor. Um, on the Philadelphia side, Hertz goes for 240. Not bad. No interceptions. Four rushing touchdowns. One for Boston Scott. One for Kenny Gainwell. One for the aforementioned Jalen Hurts, who had 17 rushes, by the way. I don't know if that's sustainable, but good luck, Philly fan. And he had 90 yards, though, so... And one touchdown for Miles Sanders, who had 13 carries for 96. A.J. Brown had a massive game. A buck 55. Massive. Devontae Smith ended with zero catches, but it didn't matter. I mean, they were putting up stats. This Philly team looked darn good. Now, I will say this. And this is the reason I wanted to bring it up. A lot of teams will get up big, and they'll allow this little late sort of, oh, we're pushing our way back into it. That's fine. That's completely okay. It happens. But it can't become a regular thing. So we'll keep an eye out for that. This Philly team is good. I think they might be up, you know, a touchdown, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter fairly often. I think this team's good. Playing the New York Giants. Playing the Washington Commanders. Playing Dallas with a backup QB, potentially. Will they take the foot off the gas and allow the other team to steal back the momentum? Because if you do it enough, it will bite you. It really will. So we'll keep an eye on it. Impressive W for the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 1. Number 7. In the standout seven, let's just go through some notes. I mean, we took diligent notes, we being me. Took diligent notes on all the games here, but we don't got to go through all the games. Uh, interesting one here. Darren Waller winds up with a three-year, $51 million extension, which leaves him under contract for the next five years. He's at age 30, so presumably towards the tail end of his career when that finishes, if not the end of his career, who knows. Drew Rosenhaus, who's negotiated quite a few contracts, by the way, said that the situation was challenging due to its inherent uniqueness. His advancing age with the fact that he had just burst on the scene relatively. You know, the fact that he's a tight end, not a wide receiver. I mean, I think Drew did pretty well for Darren. I think Darren should be happy with three years, $51 million. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was... That stuck out to me. You don't hear an agent that's done this many negotiations say this was inherently unique very often, I imagine. Elijah Mitchell, we talked about earlier for San Francisco. The running back is going to miss about two months. Uh, Chris Godwin, likely to be out a few weeks with a hamstring injury. Supposedly not major. That's the words that were used to describe it. Uh, Phillies' Derek Barnett is out for the season with a torn ACL. Unfortunate. No IR for Dak, as we mentioned before. Just left me with a big old hmm in my notes here. Uh, are they going to try to rush him back? Is it going to be necessary to rush him back? Is Philly going to force their hand? by winning ball games, are the other teams in the division going to force their hand? Are the Commanders going to get a little short winning streak? Are the New York Giants going to continue a decent start here? We'll find out. Uh, Jamal Adams out for the season with a torn quad. That's a rough one for Seattle. I mean, if you were of the opinion the Seattle Seahawks were going to catapult off of this victory over Denver, you might take a little hit. All joke, you know, people love to joke about Jamal Adams and the ball hit him in the face and he intercepted and blah, blah, blah. The guy's a darn good player. Um... It's going to hurt for the Seahawks, a team that already is not the most talented team in the league. Uh, TJ Watu IR, there were reports that he might need surgery, season-ending surgery for a torn pec. They said he tore a muscle and not a tendon. I'm not a doctor. Uh, however, it is significant that TJ Watt will be back this season 
for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Next, in more injury news, Michael Pittman not going to go this week for the Indianapolis Colts. I just detailed how he had such a great week one, and it seemed you know he was getting there with Matt Ryan. Well, not this week. Um, there was a report that Lamar Jackson rejected a six-year, $290 million extension with $133 million in fully guaranteed cash from the Baltimore Ravens. And, wow, uh, supposedly it's not the final number for Lamar so much as he wanted to surpass... You know, he didn't want to surpass the Russell Wilson deal. The five years, what was it, 245, 250? He wanted to surpass the Deshaun Watson, 230 million guaranteed. Interesting conundrum if you're Baltimore. Do you want to guarantee more money or do you want more incentives? I tend to think team would want more incentives, but uh, if it's your star quarterback, you might have to do what you got to do. Now, that said 290. Adam Schefter said 250. It's somewhere in that range. Um, crazy generational money is the range. Uh, Quentin Nelson, Colts offensive lineman, one of the best linemen in the league, quoted Adam Schefter here, reached agreement on a precedent-setting four-year extension, averaging $20 million a year, including $60 million guaranteed, making him the highest-paid guard in NFL history. He was scheduled to be heading into the last year of his contract this season and was scheduled to make $13.8 million. Another interesting one here, by the way, congrats to Quentin Nelson, one of the best linemen in the league. He deserves it. It's a lot of money for a lineman, but when you're that good, I guess it is what it is. Next, the New Orleans Saints reportedly, well, not even reportedly, Sean Payton revealed that the Saints were high on Patrick Mahomes and spoke to Drew Brees about the chance of them selecting him. The Chiefs ended up trading ahead of the Saints to take Mahomes in the draft, and the Saints took Marshawn Lattimore. Lattimore, darn good player, right? But can you imagine, I mean, I imagine... Sean Payton would still be there. If Patrick Mahomes was there, he would not have left. That's my opinion. Is that true? Not 100% sure on that, but I, I tend to think that would have been enough to keep him from going into television. That'll bring us to the end of this week's Standout 7. Get him to everyone's favorite part of the show, my favorite part, your favorite part. The pick em portion of this week's episode, and we are starting with a doozy if we were back in the Brady-Belichick era. The New England Patriots heading to not Heinz Field to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers listing non-applicable on their injury report per NFL.com as usual. The Patriots listing a handful of players. Running back Pierre Strong, questionable with a shoulder injury. Lineman Trent Brown with an ankle. And on the defensive side, safeties Adrian Phillips with a rib injury. Safety Joshua Bledsoe with a groin. Linebacker Raekwon McMillan with a thumb. And corner Sean Wade with an ankle. And they're at Acrishore Stadium, by the way. In case you're wondering, what's the new stadium called again? It's Acrishore. What does Acrishore sell? I don't know. Do yourself a favor and look it up, because I'm not going to. Um, who am I taking in this one? This is weird, because Mac Jones was supposedly battling back spasms, and he's still going to go. He's not listed on the injury report. Najee Harris was battling a little bit of a an injury, a hampering, but he's going to go as well. I did not like at all what I saw out of New England in Week 1. I did like what I saw out of Pittsburgh in Week 1, which is going to flip this on its head, because I would have picked blind, right? Before the season started, blind looking through the schedules, I'm thinking, okay, this, is gonna, this one's going to hurt Pittsburgh fan. New England's going to go in. They're going to win. They're going to walk out. Could that still happen? Of course. But looking at what we saw last week, granted with T.J. Watt, from the Pittsburgh Steelers in Cincinnati, I'm taking Pittsburgh. I'm taking Mitchell Trubersky to pull this one off. Am I going to regret this? Perhaps. I mean, look, 
We went 8-7-1 and one last week. A couple of kicks go our way, and we're looking at a 10-11 win week one, right? It's just the way it is. That's the game, baby. That's the way it is. Um, no, yeah. But we're going to take Pittsburgh at home. Our next 1 o'clock kick is a battle between, well, two teams that are going to have intriguing seasons, to say the least. The Carolina Panthers, who almost pulled off the comeback victory against the Browns, head to New Jersey to take on the triumphant comeback kids, the New York Giants. The Giants are going to be without wide receiver Wandale Robinson, their rookie. Uh, and on the defensive side, three in the defensive backfield. Nick McLeod at corner with a hammy. Aaron Robinson with appendicitis at corner as well. And safety Jason Pinnock with a shoulder. Doubtful pass rushers Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau with a calf and a knee respectively. And Kadarius Toney, last year's rookie wideout, is questionable with a hammy. The Panthers, on the other hand, two players listed, doubtful linebacker Brandon Smith with a thigh, and questionable wide receiver Shy Smith, no relation, with a groin. No relation that I know of. I mean, it'd be a crazy story. You would have heard of it, right? Um, with Ojolari and Thibodeau, question marks. With Tony, a question mark. Do I see Saquon Barkley carrying this team yet again? It's certainly possible. This is a battle of two... In, I wouldn't call them injury-prone, but two running backs that have had to deal with injury issues, let's say, um, in two situations where they may not have the same quarterback next season. Daniel Jones might be gone in New York. Baker Mayfield may be gone in Carolina. Um, I liked what I saw out of Carolina late in that game. I think there was a flip switched a little bit, and I think Carolina brings this one home on the road. Speaking of Baker Mayfield, well, his former team at least, our next 1 o'clock kick is the New York Jets heading to Cleveland to take on the Cleveland Browns. Jets obviously still without Zach Wilson. Doubtful tight end offseason acquisition C.J. Uzoma with a hammy. Uh, questionable on the offensive side, wide receiver Braxton Berrios with a heel and offensive lineman George Fant with a knee. On the defensive side, D-lineman John Franklin Myers with a toe, D.B. Jordan Whitehead with an ankle, and throw in one more, the punter Braden Mann with a back injury. That's a game-changing injury. I mean, we saw Kansas City in week one when Harrison Butker was limping around. They had a DB out there kicking, and then they had to go sign another kicker. I mean, they're lucky that game was a blowout. That could have been a game-changer. Um, the Browns, two players both on the offensive... Uh, uh, excuse me, on the offensive side. On the offensive line is what I was trying to say. Um, Chris Hubbard, with an elbow and an illness, will miss this game. And questionable, tackle Jack Conklin with a knee. I'm going to take the Browns in this one. Um, I did not like anything I saw out of the New York Jets, if I'm being completely honest with you. I mean, maybe there was a handful of plays, but it was not a good week one for the mean green, if you want to go there. Um, it certainly was not. So give me Cleveland, led by two pretty darn good running backs, and Jacoby Brissett, who was good enough to lead that game-winning field goal drive to win this one at home. Our next game is an AFC South battle. The 0-0-1 Colts head to Jacksonville to take on the Jaguars, who almost pulled one off in Washington, D.C. Jaguars listing my favorite, N.A., on the injury report. Uh, the Colts going to be without Michael Pittman, as we said. Also going to be without wide receiver Alec Pierce, who has a concussion. Pittman's injury is a quad. Also going to be without Shaq Leonard with a back injury. Questionable, D-tackle DeForest Buckner with a hip, and corner Kenny Moore also with a hip. Uh, I'm taking the Colts in this one. Like I said, I like what I saw. They missed a field goal. It is what it is. It would have been a hard, weird game against a division rival. Give me the Colts to win this one on the road. 
Our next matchup is a little bit spicy. And this isn't, you know, a Russell Wilson return to Denver. Excuse me, return to Seattle spicy. It is the Miami Dolphins heading to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Now, why is that spicy? Well, if you remember, this is a Dolphins team that has gotten blown out by Lamar Jackson and then came back, I believe it was either last season or the one prior, and just all-out blitzed Baltimore into oblivion and won that ballgame. So this is a weird matchup, right? The visiting Miami Dolphins will be without tight end Sathan Carter. Never seen someone named Sathan. Interesting. Hope I'm not butchering your name here, buddy. If you're a fan, I know the odds aren't high. Shoot me a DM and I'll make sure it's right. Uh, he has a concussion. Questionable. Running back Salvin Ahmed with a heel. Wide receiver Cedric Wilson with a toe. Another tight end. Hunter Long with an ankle. Uh, offensive lineman Taron Armstead with a toe. And D-tackle Christian Wilkins with a back injury. For the Ravens, doubtful. Two on the offensive side. Wide receiver James Prochet the second with a groin. And tackle Ronnie Stanley with an ankle. Moving on to the questionable part of the Baltimore report. It's a little bit longer, and it's got some names with star power. Running back J.K. Dobbins with a knee. Fullback Patrick Ricard with a calf. D-tackle Travis Jones with a knee. Two corners, excuse me, three DBs, rather. Marlon Humphrey with a groin. Marcus Peters with a knee. And Brandon Stevens with a quad. Now, was I super impressed with what Baltimore did against the Jets? No, the Jets are a bad ball club. I mean, unless you're Robert Sala and you're talking about taking receipts, which is a, a, a really weird thing to do. Let's, you know, let's dive into this. I wasn't going to bring this in, but let's talk about the Robert Sala, I'm keeping receipts thing. Um, is it good for the locker room? Perhaps, right? Is it one of those things that I imagine coaches say all the time? They talk about bulletin board material. If you watched, I mean, it was, I believe it was in the 80s, Tommy Lasorda talked about how, look, even Costas won't give us a chance to rally up the Dodgers, right? Uh, to rile up the Dodgers. Both work, I guess. But uh, here's here's my thing. So I can understand, like I said, in the locker room talking about, well, look, on ESPN, nobody picked us. Or look, uh, Newsday, which is a local Long Island paper here in New York. Look, they're saying we're going to win four games. They're saying Zach's going to do this and that. But it's one of those things I tend to think you keep in-house until you get to the point where you can start pulling cards and calling receipts, right? If they're walking in at 6-2... and two, right? You're thinking, okay, well, nobody even had you guys winning six games at the beginning of the season, so I understand where you'd come from with, oh, we're keeping receipts. But look, Robert, I mean, the fact of the matter is this team is not very good. I don't think they're going to be that good. They weren't very good last year. Is the talent that great? Not necessarily. Right now on paper, they're probably the worst team in this division, and I probably don't have to say the word probably in that sentence, right? They're worse than Miami. They're worse than Buffalo. I mean, what are we talking about here? Do we do we think they're better than New England? Maybe. But do we think Robert Sala is better at getting that production out of players that don't have that talent level than Bill Belichick? I wouldn't go that far, right? Not yet. Maybe one day, but not yet. Um, so for Robert, it's weird. I also heard him mention, oh, when Joe Douglas came in, this was an expansion team. All right. Like, come on. Like, what are we doing here? Like, you're making excuses like it's the end of the season already. It's week two. Unless you are fully expecting this team to be awful, they're going to go 5-12 and 12 or 6-11, and 11, and then you're going to be like, well, in advance, I told you guys we were bad, right? Like, come on. What are we doing here, Robert? What do we do? I think it's bonehead. And there were some people in the media, I know Michael K was saying, well, why can't he respond to his critics? Of course he can. 
free country. You can do whatever you want within reason, and we don't have to go down that road. But it's one of those things, of course he can say it, but why? Why are you saying it in week one? Why? Are you trying to say, is the criticism getting to your team and you're trying to cut down on it? I mean, it's like the opposite. It's not the Rex Ryan effect. Rex Ryan, a lot of the criticism, excuse me, uh, were levied, some of them at Mark Sanchez and some of them rightfully so with some other players, but most of it was at Rex. Rex made himself the target so people would all talk about him, 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 and at the end of the day, his players can just go play the game. It Was it the best approach? Is it the only approach? No to both, but... It worked for them. It got them to the AFC Championship game. I mean, I don't know. Robert Sala, that was a weird move in my opinion. Let's get back to the the matter at hand here. Miami against Baltimore. Do I think Miami is going to have this kind of success against Baltimore again? I think I'm going to take the upset this week, and I actually am going to take Miami. Do I think they're going to all-out blitz and they're going to rattle Lamar Jackson again? No, I tend to think, or at least I'd hope if you're a Miami fan, there's another strategy here. Right? Maybe you implement some of it, get him a little shaky, and then start to get him to scramble and blah, blah, blah. Now, if he's scrambling, he's going to be hard to catch. And you could bet this is a game that Lamar Jackson wants to win, particularly considering he's in a contract year. Now, obviously, it's the NFL, franchise tags and such. But still, in a contract year, this is a game you want to win. This is a game at home. This is a game that I think they should win. But nevertheless, with some of the injuries to their DBs, I'm going to take Miami on the road. I think whether it's Jalen Waddell or Tyreek Hill, somebody's going to make a big play here for Tua. Now, am I probably wrong? Perhaps, but we'll find out. That's part of the fun. Our next game is an NFC South matchup between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the hosting New Orleans Saints from the Superdome. Saints going to be without corner Paulson Adebo with an ankle. Questionable Quarterback Jameis Winston with a back injury, which is a huge one. Running back Mark Ingram with an ankle. Running back Alvin Kamara, another huge one, even bigger arguably, with a rib. Another running back, Dwayne Washington with a hammy. Wide receiver Traquan Smith with a shoulder. And corner Alante Taylor with a hip injury. The Buccaneers on the other side are going to be without Chris Godwin, as we mentioned, with that hamstring injury. Doubtful, lineman Donovan Smith with an elbow. And corner Zion McCollum with a hammy. Questionable, all the offensive weapons. Leonard Fournette with a hammy, Mike Evans with a calf, Russell Gage with a hammy, Julio Jones with a knee, Brashad Perriman with a knee, and Tristan Wirfs with an abdomen. Now, if the injuries break the wrong way here, this theoretically could be a Saints victory, and I know the Saints have historically given Tom Brady some trouble since he's been there in Tampa. That being said, I'm obligated to take Tampa to win this one. They're the better team. They're one of the best teams in the NFL on paper. Give me the bucks on the road. Our next game, Carson Wentz on his now third team to heads to Detroit with the Washington Commanders to take on Jared Goff, famously on his second. Uh, Commanders, two listed as questionable. Offensive lineman Wes Schweitzer with a hammy and safety Cameron Curl with a thumb. For the Lions, they're going to be without center Frank Ragnow with a groin-slash-foot injury. Questionable, the aforementioned DeAndre Swift, who had pretty good stats there in Week 1. Offensive lineman Jonah Jackson with a finger Corner Amani Oruwarie with a back and safety Ifitu Melifanwu with a hammy. This is a weird game because it seemed like Jacksonville really wanted to win that week one. Obviously, you want to win every week. But Jacksonville was trying to scratch and claw there at the end, but they just weren't there. They were a little bit behind. You know, it's, it's like Trevor Lawrence is having a second rookie season. It's already a new system. He's starting over. The first one set him back. Blah, blah, blah. You've heard it all before with prototype QBs who haven't panned out after a year. 
that's not to say he won't pan out, and that's not to say one year is the waiting period to become a star quarterback, but you get what I'm saying. So I mentioned that to allude to this. Detroit making that comeback at the end of the last week against Philly had sort of the same vibe, but I think they were a little bit ahead of where Jacksonville is. Now, how much of that is due to Dan Campbell already being in his second season? Who knows, right? Um, so I enter this matchup with the same things I entered that matchup, that being the Commanders against the Jaguars with. Who on the Detroit Lions is going to defend Scary Terry? And will they be able to do enough offensively to keep up with what I think should be a decent commander's offense? Realistically, I can't answer that first question. And the second, if DeAndre Swift's not going to go, is a no. Give me the commanders to win this one on the road and go to 2-0. and oh. We move into the 4 o'clock timeline here with our next game at 4.05. The Seattle Seahawks head to San Francisco for an NFC West matchup with the Niners, or rather, Santa Clara, excuse me. Uh, Seahawks, doubtful safety Joey Blunt with a hammy, questionable two corners Artie Burns with a groin, and Justin Coleman with a calf injury. 49ers can be without lineman Daniel Brunskill, offensive lineman, excuse me, with a hammy, and questionable tight end George Kittle with a groin. Um, this is, you know, we used to do 60-second picks. This is the 60-second pick. I don't think... Seattle had, I think they had a lot of emotion behind that week one victory, and it's one of those things, who knows, maybe it could catapult them into something, however, I don't tend to think that is going to happen, I think the 49ers have, are going to come out there with something to prove after a sloppy week one loss to the Chicago Bears, I doubt it's going to be monsoon conditions in Santa Clara, California, give me the Niners to win this one. Our only other 405 kick is the Atlanta Falcons against the L.A. Rams from Los Angeles. The Falcons, just one injury, going to list wide, excuse me, running back Damian Williams out with a rib. Uh, the Rams are without wide receiver Van Jefferson with a knee, and center, big one, Brian Allen with a knee as well. Questionable offensive lineman Joe Noteboom with a knee injury, linebacker Leonard Floyd with a knee, and long snapper, ding, 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 another big one that could play a role, Matt Orzek with a calf. Uh, I mean, you got to take the Rams in this one, right? You tend to think they're going to bounce back from a rough week one. They had a long time to come into this game. They're playing the Atlanta Falcons, who just squandered a lead uh, to the New Orleans Saints. I kind of liked what I saw out of Atlanta here and there. I wish they could have got more Kyle Pitts action in that offense, I think. Drake London looked okay. Mariota had some mobility that was interesting. Uh, give me the Rams to win this one at home. Next, we move into our first of three 425 kicks as the Cardinals continue to make their way through the AFC West by matching up with the Las Vegas Raiders in Las Vegas. The hosting Raiders going to be without center Andre James with a concussion, linebacker Denzel Perriman with an ankle injury, and safety Trayvon Morig with a hip. And running back Brandon Bolden is doubtful with a hamstring injury. For the Cardinals, they're going to be without wide receivers Rondale Moore with a hammy and Andy Isabella with a back injury. Questionable offensive lineman Justin Pugh with a neck. D-end J.J. Watt with a calf. Corner Trayvon Mullen with a toe. And safety Jalen Thompson also with a toe. Um, this one should be fun, but there is no DeAndre Hopkins, as we all know, due to a suspension. I don't think it's necessarily going to be the closest game. Um... The Raiders had a hard-fought hard fought loss. The Cardinals got blown out, so maybe they'll have a little bit more behind them. But I think the Raiders win this one at home. Our next 425 is another should-be gimme for the Denver Broncos, which means if you're a betting person, 
Well, take a look at the Texans and the spread. The Texans head to Denver to take on Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos, who are going to be without wide receiver K.J. Hamler with a knee and a hip injury, as well as guard Quinn Miners with a hamstring injury. Questionable, tackle Billy Turner with a knee, D-tackle Deshaun Williams with a back, linebacker Josie Jewell with a calf, linebacker Randy Gregory with a shoulder and a knee, and corner K1 Williams with a wrist injury. Texans listing just two on the other end. Justin Britt, their center, is out. And questionable tight end Brevin Jordan with an ankle. This is another weird one for me, and I say that because I'm probably going to pick this one based on what I think these teams will be instead of what I saw in Week 1, if we're being completely honest. If we're picking based off what we saw in Week 1, Denver looked fantastic for about 90 yards, and then, you know, midfield field goal decision-making. Otherwise, they'd be 1-0. Houston... I mean, they should have lost that game, if we're being completely honest, but a tie is a tie. I'm going to take Denver in this one, but it would not shock me if the Texans found another way to muddy the waters for a potential playoff team. Our final 425 is the aforementioned Cincinnati Bengals, led by Joe Burrow, heading to Dallas to take on the Cowboys, led by Cooper Rush. The home team also going to be without wide receiver Michael Gallup with a knee injury, Lineman Connor McGovern with an ankle, DN Terrell Basham with a thigh, and safety J. Ron Curse with a knee. The Bengals listing just three on their injury report. Wide receiver T. Higgins, questionable with a concussion. Devin Asiasi, the tight end with a quad, and D-tackle Josh Tupo with a shin. Um, this should be a bounce-back game for the Bengals. We saw the pass rush of T.J. Watt really kind of get through over and over and over. We saw the Bengals have an issue last year. With the pass rush, you can make the argument Micah Parsons shifting into more of a rush linebacker for this game would make sense, but we'll see. I mean, if you're the Cowboys, you kind of wish you had Von Miller, but then again, we talked about that a few weeks ago. He's suiting up in Buffalo. Give me the Bengals to win this one on the road. Let me say this before we move on. The road to victory this game should be run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, but if you know that's coming, I don't know if Zeke and Tony Pollard and or even Kellen Moore calling the plays are going to be able to do enough to run the ball down the Bengals' throat and play ball control, essentially, considering, I mean, you have a backup QB. Everyone in the stadium knows where the ball's going most of these plays, unless they get tricky with some reverses to C.D. Lamb and things like that. It's not unwinnable for Dallas. It's just highly unlikely. We have finally reached the Sunday night football portion of the Pick'em. The Chicago Bears head to Lambeau to take on the Green Bay Packers. The Bears listing just one. Wide receiver Vellis Jones, doubtful with a hammy. For the Packers, questionable. Devontae Adams replacement, question mark. Uh, wide receiver Alan Lazard with an ankle. Offensive lineman David Bakhtiari with a knee. Elkton Jenkins also on the O-line with a knee. And also on the O-line, John Runyon Jr., I believe. I mean, John Runyon Sr. played a while ago, unless he's coming back to suit up. Uh, John Runyon with a concussion. Maybe drop the junior. Maybe he's just going by John Runyon. Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe Dad will just go by Sr. He's retired. Either way, um, this feels like a very losable game for the Green Bay Packers. However, at the same time, I do tend to think we'll see more out of their running game than we saw last week against Minnesota. Not that Minnesota is some vaunted defense, but... I mean, come on. It, it, that was probably the worst game the Packers will play all season. If it's not, 
wow, we're in for one this year. Uh, Packer fan, it might be time to watch the Milwaukee Brewers for a little bit instead while they round into midseason form. However, I don't think that's the case. I don't think we'll get a, a weird outcome this week. I do think Justin Fields is talented enough to lead a team to Lambeau and beat the Packers. I don't know if he's talented enough to lead this team to Lambeau to beat the Packers. Give me Green Bay at home. Next, let's head to the Monday night slate, which is a double header this week. No injury reports, obviously, as we're a little remo far removed. Uh, 7-15 game will be the Tennessee Titans heading to Buffalo to take on the Bills. I'm taking the Bills. I mean, e even if the Titans had won last week on that field goal, I'm still taking the Bills. Even if the Bills had somehow lost to the Rams, I'm still taking the Bills. Come on. I think the Bills on paper and in real life will show to be better than this Tennessee Titans squad. Uh, the 8.30 portion is an interesting one. It's the Jalen Rager revenge game as the Minnesota Vikings head to Philly to take on the Eagles. I'm actually going to take Minnesota in this one. I mean, this is one of those classic, I mentioned it before, if I'm looking in advance, I probably lean towards Philly, but I wonder if Minnesota doesn't see the opening in this division. We talked about it before in the standout seven. If Green Bay is going to have a handful of stinkers to start the year, or even more, depending... This division is winnable, and if it's winnable, Minnesota's the team with the inside track of the three other teams. Detroit, mm, maybe right behind them. Maybe Chicago if you're super high on Justin Fields, but I'm taking the Minnesota Vikings to improve to 2-0 with what should be an entertaining victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, the caveat, as usual, we always throw one in there. That's my trademark at this point, six seasons in. It's Kirk Cousins. I mean, if Kirk Cousins throws three interceptions... <clears throat> What do you want me to do? Couldn't see that one coming. Um, as much, I, I, I'll go with the Vikings. The more I talk about it, the more I want to talk myself into Philly. But I'll take Minnesota, and we'll drop an asterisk on the score sheet. Next, our Week 3 Thursday night football game. The Pittsburgh Steelers head to Cleveland to take on the Jacoby Brissett-led Cleveland Browns. 8-15 on the 22nd. So if we take a look at what I'm projecting this week, and we talk about this, I'm projecting the Browns to be coming in at 2-0 after beating the Jets, right? And Pittsburgh to be coming in at 2-0 after beating New England. This is an interesting game. Um, who's got more firepower on offense? I don't really know, if I'm being honest. The running backs, I would definitely give the edge to Cleveland, but that's not a knock on Najee Harris. It's just that they have Kareem Hunt as a backup running back. I mean, the guy could be starting on at least 10 teams in this league, if not more. Um, and Nick Chubb is Nick Chubb. He's that dude. As far as the other weapons go, is Fryermuth better than Njoku? I wouldn't go there. Uh, will Amari Cooper make an appearance? I don't know. Will we see some George Pickson, Pickens excuse me, action? Will we see some Trubersky throw in for 300 yards? I'm not sure that's this kind of game. This feels like a game where you might want to try and take a look at betting the under. Maybe if you get an alternate line, because I don't think it's going to be that high to begin with. Um, either way, without TJ Watt, I think I'm going to take the Browns to win this one at home. When I initially started this pick, I'm not going to lie to you, on the paper, just had it slashed across, you know, Steelers and Browns. I was leaning Pittsburgh, but... I don't know, Trubisky versus Brissett. I tend to think Brissett might have a little bit of an edge passing-wise. Trubisky's got a little bit of mobility, sneaky mobility, if you will. But no T.J. Watt is a big one. Cleveland's got a pretty darn good defense. Give me Cleveland to win this one at home. 
That'll bring us to the end of the Pick'em portion of this week's episode, and that'll bring us to the end of episode number 141. Hope you all enjoyed. Hope you all looking forward to a, another great week of NFL football. Will it live up to the bar set by last week? It's going to be hard, but maybe the kickers will do a little better, and maybe we'll do a little better on the picks. Either way, thanks for joining us. Episode number 141 of the Necessary Roughness Podcast. You know the deal. Presented by Last Word on Sports. Join us again next weekend for the following episode. And as always, I'm your host, Nicholas Sinotic, signing off.